Well, uh, we have been in this series now for three weeks, and we've been looking into the mirror of God's Word to see what we can find out about how God views us. You know, it's, it's one thing to have a self-understanding of who you are. It's a whole other thing to have an understanding of who God says you are. Your identity in Christ is central and critical to living the life that we all want to live as followers of Jesus. You know, because when I look at my life, I don't know, maybe you feel the same way, I see sin. But you know what God sees? He sees righteousness and perfection. Not because I'm perfect, but because Christ's righteousness has been given to me. That's what we learned in week one. You know, uh, when I look at my life, sometimes I, I focus on the past. You know, all the mistakes I've made, all the regrets that I have about things that I did or didn't do, that I should have done, that I feel guilty about. That's what I see. But you know what God sees? He sees my future. And he has a, a future and a hope for every one of us, for now and forever. That's what we learned in week two. When I look at my life, oftentimes, depending on the week, especially some weeks are worse than others, I see a mess. I see, I see undisciplined behavior. I see lack of faith. I see laziness at times. I see just a mess, relational problems. Do you know what God sees? He sees a masterpiece. That's what we learned last week. That God is restoring us, that we're his work, his handiwork, that we're a masterpiece, and he's, he's, he's got this vision for us, and he's restoring us. And this week, we want to talk about, well, the weakness that's in our life. Because when I see my life, quite frankly, I see weakness. And God says, you know, I, I have a different idea for you. I have strength for your life. I have strength, and I want to give that you that strength. And that's what we need to talk, to, talk about today. We need, to, we need to examine how God sees strength in our lives. How can we as weak, sinful people become strong? See, because how we see ourselves is important. The truth of God's word, it helps us to see ourselves as God sees us. And that changes everything for us as human beings. Our self-image has to be given to us. The accurate understanding has to be given to us by God's view of us, not our view of ourselves. You know, we're, we're all attracted, I think, to strength, right? I mean, everybody wants to be strong. I mean, which guy would you rather be in this little uh, arm wrestling match, right? <laughs> See, we're attracted to self-sufficient, strong people. We want to be that person. We want to be strong. I mean, we want to be a part of a strong family, don't we? I mean, with pe people who love each other and care for one another and sacrifice for one another, we want to be a part of a strong church that reaches people for Jesus Christ. We want to be a part of a, we want to be a, part of a strong employer or company that, that is financially able to withstand the ups and downs of the economy. We want to be strong. We're attracted to strength. You know, they recently did a study, and they found this out. This will shock you. Women are more attracted to men who are strong. Did you know that? We paid for that study. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I grew up as a 98-pound weakling, okay? I could, be, I could be the arm model for this little 
arm wrestling match up here. I always dreamed of being bigger, but I guess never, it never happened. I never got strong. Fortunately, my wife saw beyond my skinniness, you know? <laughs> Thank you, dear. She's back there. She loves me anyway, even though I'm thin. But we're attracted to strength, right? We're attracted to this idea that strength is important. We know it's important for life because, quite frankly, some weeks feel like this, right? I mean, does your week ever feel like this? Like the burden that you're trying to move, the thing that you're trying to do is just like impossible. And you, as hard as you pull and as hard as you struggle and, and you try, you just can't seem to make any progress, forward progress. You ever feel like that? I know I do. Past week was an example. Just lots of stuff going on. And, and when my energy's all gone, I'm still left with things to do. This is our life. We're attracted to strength. And we need it for our lives. We understand how important it is. This, this idea of strength, physical, emotional, spiritual strength, you know, having energy and power in all three of those areas, so important for us. And, and it's important not only because we want the energy to move forward, but we also know we're going to be under pressure, right? We're going to be under pressure, and, and we need to, to withstand great forces in our world so that we don't break. We want that kind of strength in our lives. We know, we know that when we are strong, life is better. Now, it's never perfect, right? Because we live in a sinful, fallen world. We know it's never better, but it can be, or never perfect, but it can be better. And that's the goal, that we would be strengthened in our faith. By the way, the, the picture of this guy who's pulling this airplane, he did successfully do this. He's the world's strongest man back in 2009. His name's Kevin Fast. He happens to be a pastor. He's going to pull that fire truck. <laughs> Imagine going to his church, right? You walk into service. He says, okay, everybody up. Let's do 10 push-ups, you know, jumping jacks. We're going to get strong together. Spiritual strength. Spiritual strength is so important for us as Christians because there is somebody, and you may know this, you may have felt it, somebody doesn't want you to be spiritually strong. His, his name's Satan. So let's spend a minute talking about that. How strong is your faith right now? Where would you put it? I mean, we all want strong faith, but we all struggle with faith, don't we? We have questions, we have doubts, we have, we have things that happen in the world, and we say, wait a minute, I don't know. How do I process that? What do I say about that? I mean, God, where are you? You ever ask that question? In the middle of that mess, where are you? And we're going to look at a section of Scripture today from Paul. And in Paul's section, this section from 2 Corinthians, we're going to, he's going to help us see how to be really strong, to be spiritually strong people. Now, you might, think, you might think that he's going to give us exercises, because that's what we normally do. We talk a lot about the things that we can do to strengthen our faith, like, oh, you know, worship regularly, right? Be here. Uh, uh, be in a small group. Do you ever hear that? Here? Do we ever talk about that? Yeah, and we do. And, and, and serving, we say all those exercises are important. But here's, here's what Paul wants to teach us. This is different. That's not the sermon today. What Paul wants us to, to understand is that our spiritual strength doesn't come from just what we, what we do or know. It doesn't come from just from our, our activity or our knowledge. It, it really comes from who we trust. 
And, and there's great strength in that, but here's the challenge, and this is the difficult part of today's message, is that you have to learn to trust God, and to do that is not always easy. It's not always easy, and it's not always painless. So let's, let's get a picture of Paul and where he is when he writes the words that we're going to study. This is a picture from the movie, uh, Paul the Apostle of Christ. You can get it on streaming services now, I think. And uh, it's a pretty interesting movie because Paul is really portrayed as a strong man. Not just spiritually strong, but physically very strong. Recognizing that he was, he was beaten three times, beaten with rods, he was shipwrecked and out on the open ocean, and he survived all that. He traveled and walked everywhere he went for his ministry, thousands of miles, and he was just really a strong guy. But he's at a point in his life where he's being attacked, he's being belittled, he's being criticized for his teaching. They're saying, wait a minute, Paul, you don't, you're nothing special. You're not that good. You're not that great. And so Paul has to kind of stand up for himself, and he has to sort of brag about his qualifications, his strength, his accomplishments, everything he's done. And so he goes through in chapter 11 and chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, and he begins to, to boast a little bit. He starts kind of interestingly in chapter 11. He says, hey, bear with me a little bit while I have a little foolishness, because he knows it's foolish to brag about yourself, but he has to. He has to defend himself from these people who were attacking him. And, he, and so he begins to explain all of his strengths and his qualifications and everything that he's done and gone through for the cause of Christ. And he gets to chapter 12 and he says, I'm going to keep on boasting because I have some other things to tell you. But let me tell you what I'm going to boast about because what he's about to tell us is the secret to strength. And so with that, let's look. And you can see these words on your sermon notes card. Let's, let's look at... 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and set the seventh verse. This is what he writes. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Okay, so this is the thorn in the flesh passage, right? Anybody ever feel like they had a thorn in the flesh? All right, hopefully they're not sitting next to you, okay? Just kidding. Be nice if they are, okay? Thorns in the flesh. It's a phrase we use all the time, right? It's a phrase to indicate something has gone wrong in our lives. It's a difficulty. It's a struggle. It's a challenge. And yet Paul says, I have one, and it, and it humbled me. He said, look, this idea of being conceited about focusing on, on me, being wrapped up in me and my qualifications. Because he said it's foolishness, but he was doing it to kind of protect himself or to explain himself to the church in Corinth. But he says it's silly. You don't get conceited about all that. And he says, I have a thorn in my flesh that has humbled me. Now, why would Paul be worried about being humbled? Well, he reveals that reason in the next line. He says, look, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, the revelations that Paul has been given about Christ. Paul, more than any other human being in the world, knows Christ's person and his purpose and mission. Think about it for a moment. You know, Paul, he knew the Old Testament. He's a rabbinical scholar, so he knew the promises in Scripture of God to send a Messiah. He knew all that. But more than that, more than that, how was he converted? 
He had an appearance, a personal visit from the ascended Christ, not just the resurrected Christ, the Christ that had ascended into heaven came to him and said, Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And he was converted. Just imagine for a moment comparing conversion stories with Paul. Oh, how were you converted? I was baptized as a baby. Oh, Jesus came to me personally. So he had, he had his vision, and, and, and on, on top of that, that, that visit from Christ, he had visions both in the synagogue and in prison. He had a vision of Christ. He had an encounter with Christ. But the beginning of 12, he, he reveals another amazing, amazing revelation, a great revelation of God that he had. Because Paul, he explains, and you can read this for yourself, he gets a vision of heaven. I want you to just... Imagine for a moment how your life would change if you had a vision of heaven. If you actually got to see what heaven is like. I mean, if you actually got to go there, that's what he says. He doesn't understand how it happened, but he got to see heaven. I think if you could see heaven, if you, spent just, if you just spent a few seconds there, it would change our entire outlook on our lives, don't you? It certainly did for Paul. Do you know what he said when he got back? He said, hey, to live as Christ to die is gain. You know, I'm really torn. Should I just stay here and serve God? Or maybe I should just, you know, if they're trying to beat me and kill me, I'll just go. All of a sudden, his life and the priorities were different. He says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm, I'm, I just have a totally rearranged mindset. And so Paul had these great revelations. And so it would have been easy for him to become uh, puffed up, wouldn't it? It would be easy for him to become all wrapped up in himself. But he says, this thorn was given to me to keep me humble. Because while I have God's favor, I'm still a human being. So what is this thorn? You know, how many of you guys thought that the thorn in the flesh was always a physical ailment? Anybody think that before? Yeah. A lot of folks do because it's thorn in the flesh, like a, you know, an ailment that maybe Paul had. But guess what? That's probably not exactly right. You see, it's bigger than that. So we don't want to just confine this verse to a physical ailment. It's much bigger than that, as we will see. The phrase thorn in your flesh actually appears three times in the Old Testament. Here's one. Back in Judges, you remember when the Israelites went into the promised land, they were supposed to kick out the Canaanites, and they failed to do so. And so the angel of the Lord comes and says to, to the Israelites, says, hey, so now I say I will not drive them out for you, before you, but they shall become what? Thorns in your side. See, that was a, like a Hebrew saying, what we call an idiom. He's, he's just quoting, he's just saying, hey, it's a problem, it's, it's a difficulty, it's a, it is a weakness, it's an insult, it's a hardship, it's a calamity, it's persecution. And, and later on, he'll give you that exact list. He's going, he wants you to see this for what it is, is that in this world there is trouble. There are thorns in our flesh. Now, we don't know, we don't know exactly who gave him that thorn. He says it was given to him. But we do know who brought it, right? Look at the next line. What's it say? It says, a messenger from Satan, a messenger of Satan to harass me. What is Satan's job description? To kill, steal, and destroy. 
So we know Satan is the messenger. In fact, his angel is literally the word messenger there means angel. So a demon came. And the word harass, you know, we, we think of it as terms like harassment, you know, like verbally just kind of, you know, causing a problem. But here it means something quite different. It literally means he came to punch him in the face. To hit him right upside, to slap him around. And Paul says, you know, I have this thorn and the purpose is to, is to keep me from becoming conceited. And I have this, this messenger of Satan and he's there to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's slapping me around. You see, when you have a great revelation of who Jesus is, there is somebody who does not want you to hold on to it. Satan wants to beat it out of him. God will use it for good. Just like he promises to do in Romans 8.28, which says, God is able to make all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So we see this moment where Paul is saying, look, this messenger of Satan is coming to me. Now, he's explaining it, of course, because it's already happened. What did he do to respond to this messenger, this idea that this thorn was in his flesh? What did Paul do? What did he say? How did he act? What was his prayer life like? We see it in the next passage. He pleads with God. He, he gets down on his knees and he pleads for three times, take it away, Lord, take it away. I don't, I don't want to experience this. And I would guess, and I know I have been there, maybe you have too, but I'd guess all of us at one point in time have, have gotten to the point where we pleaded with God and said, take this away. And there's dead air. Silence. Ever been there? Yeah. Well, Paul pleads and waits for an answer. And you know, when you pray, there are possibly three answers to prayer. God has three possibilities. He can say yes. He can say wait. It's a difficult one. And he can say no. And oftentimes, when we think of God saying no, it's, it's like, well, God, that's not, you know, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I thought you'd promise to do this, this, and this, and this. I didn't sign up for this. I mean, what are you talking about, God? I'm going to have a thorn in my flesh, and I've got to live with it every day. Are you kidding me? I didn't sign up for that. You see, God doesn't come to Paul and say no. He says something quite different. Look at the way he describes what God told him. He said, look, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What God is saying to Paul is, I will be with you every day. I will be with you in the middle of your suffering. I will not leave you. I will supply everything you need day by day by day to strengthen you, my strength, in that weakness of yours. And what does that do for Paul? Paul all of a sudden says, wait a minute. God's going to use this for Christ's sake. He's going to make me stronger through this experience. Satan meant to slap me around and, and, and damage my faith. God means it for good. Takes and uses it for good to strengthen me as a person. So how does Paul respond to that? How would you respond? How have you responded to God's no? Well, here's, here's what Paul says. He says, uh, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ may rest on me. 
Paul is like, okay, God, if that's what has to happen in my life, then I'm good with it. And I'm going to boast of my weaknesses. I'm going to boast of the insults I have and the hardships and the persecutions and, and the calamities in my life. I'm just going to boast because I want the power of Christ to rest on me so I can serve him for Christ's sake. You know, the Christian life is, is not just hard. It's impossible. Paul had all the knowledge and revelation of God. He could do all these amazing things, but yet he is being given the final understanding of what strength, real spiritual strength is. Because ultimately, Paul will give his life physically for his faith. Church tradition tells us that he was beheaded in Rome, a scene that's shown in that movie that I mentioned. He says, I, I, I'm, I'm in, I'll boast of my weaknesses. I'll say yes, I'll enthusiastically embrace God's no, because I know and trust him that he will supply his grace and his power will be made perfect in my weakness. He finishes, as he, as he finishes this section, he begins to, to give us that catalog of the different thorns in the flesh, the reason why we shouldn't fixate on one area. He says, look, it's all these things. For the sake of Christ, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. He's content with them. Wow. I can't, I'm not there. Many days I'm not there. To be content with those things. My, my, my job in life is to fix things. I don't want to be content with weakness or brokenness. How about you? Could you say that for Christ's sake, you'd be willing to be content with weakness, insults, hardships, calamities, persecutions? See, God wants to use those moments in our lives, those thorns in our flesh to strengthen our faith that we may become dependent and trust him. And he knows that's like there's no other way that in, if we aren't experiencing a weakness that we, we cannot learn to trust him in the same way. In that weakness, we have to turn to him. We have no place else to go where Paul was. And in that moment of desperation, he is given hope and power and strength and becomes a real spiritual strong man. And he says, look, for when I am weak, I am strong. Then I am strong. When I'm weak and dependent upon God, that's where I experience that strength. I know it's a tough to hear a message that indicates that this is the way our lives are, but remember, we live in a sinful, fallen world. We are against an enemy that is powerful. And, and God, as long as he's, a, he's waiting to, to return to be with us, is allowing Satan continuing to continue his work. But God says, look, I'm going to use even what Satan does, just like I did with Jesus. What Satan does, I'm going I'm to use it for good in your life so you can depend on me. I want you to remember these, these, these points of Paul, the way he dealt with this thorn in the flesh. He, he, he says, when I'm weak, here's what I do. I, first of all, I pray. And the most important thing there is remember that that's, 
That's our connection with God. And, and sometimes God says yes, right? He doesn't always say no. So he may want to take it away. He may want to give you a miracle to take that away. I heard an amazing story just between services of somebody who says, a miracle has happened in my life. God said yes. It's just amazing. It happens. But God also says wait. The key is to pray. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In my life, that's what I want. That's what I desire. Pray that. And then, and then rest. I don't know about you guys. The older I get, the realize, I realize that in order to be strong, I have to take a nap. Anybody with me there? Any, any older folks in the room? Yeah, you got me. You, got, you know what I'm going through. You know, I love this Psalm 23 verse because it says, look, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He rebuilds my soul after every, all the beating up that it takes in life. He restores me. And so rest. And then ask yourself, how is this for Christ's sake? Remember that God is working in the middle of suffering. A lot of times if we're going through Suffering, we'll, we'll say the phrase, we'll say, well, for Christ's sake, right? Learn to say it a different way. If, well, for Christ's sake, what is he doing? Because I want something for Christ's sake. I want to advance the kingdom. I want this, whatever I'm going through, to be used for his purposes. Ask, and then yield. Yield to him. He tells us in Romans uh, 12.1, he says, present yourself as a living sacrifice. Give yourself fully. He says, when you do that, as a living sacrifice, say, Lord, take me, use me. Whatever it is you want to do with me, take me and use me. I'm yours. Because then when you're weak and you say, look, I don't know how that works, Lord, but I know you have strength and you're going to give it to me. For when you are weak, when we are weak, then we're strong if we're dependent upon God when we're giving our whole lives to him. You know, we started this uh, series um, with a study of the wicked queen in Snow White. Do you remember that four weeks ago? She appears. She's there talking to the magic mirror. What does she say to the magic mirror? She says, magic mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Does she get good news? No, no, she's not the fairest anymore. Yeah, she's like, oh, who am I now that I'm not the fairest, that I'm growing old and wrinkled? We look into the mirror of God's word, and we find out, you know what? We always get good news about ourselves. And Jesus is saying to you today, all of you, you're the fairest of them all. And he loves you completely. And he sees you as perfect. And he has, he has a future for your life. He doesn't see a mess. He sees a masterpiece. He wants to give you his strength for Christ's sake and his mission. That you might fully know and love him now and forever. Let's pray together.